Welcome to the Not Old Better show here on radio and podcast. This is part of our Smithsonian Associates interview series. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and we have a wonderful show, a previous guest. I met first through Smithsonian Associates and someone I've been really fortunate to talk with a couple of times. Our guest is Ms. Rebecca Roberts. Rebecca Roberts is the curator of programming for Planet Word Museum. Rebecca Roberts is a journalist, a producer, a political consultant, a jazz singer, I learned, and a nationally recognized author. Rebecca Roberts tells us today about Planet Word, a museum that's here locally in Washington, D.C., and it is concerned with all things word. Yet, it is not by any means that simple. Please join us to hear all the fantastic aspects of this museum, including all of the cool rooms and interactive exhibits. Oh my gosh, you're just going to love this. So please welcome Rebecca Roberts, the curator of the Planet Word Museum. Rebecca Roberts, welcome back to the program. So happy to be here, Paul. Thank you. It's good to talk to you, too. Um, it's really just an honor to speak with you. I have to tell you, I, I saw you recently, and um, it sounds like it, it, things are well, but I, but I hope that's the case during the summer for you and your family. Everybody good? Everyone's great. Thank you so much for asking. Two of the three boys are home for the summer, so we've got a yeah. full-ish house. <laughs> Good. We've kind of got a full-ish house, too. My mom, who's 92, is going to be moving into our house the end of August from California, so we will have a very full-ish house at that point. Indeed. That's <laughs> yes. Good. Well, again, so great to talk to you. We're going to talk about the Planet Word Museum. I'm excited to talk to you about this. It just, it just had so much relevance for me. I want to learn all about it from you. I mentioned my mom. She, as I was growing up, she was an English teacher. She taught Head Start reading, and um, and so I really I come from this place. And I mean, I talk for a living, so I know how important words are. In my research, in before talking to you, I learned that there is a museum of math, and then in 2021, the Planet Word Museum opened. And I, I wonder if you just tell us what does the Planet Word Museum teach us about words? that help us just cherish their importance in our lives. Planet Word Museum, or Planet Word, it's a museum of words and language. And that, we get asked all the time, what does that mean? How can you possibly mm -hmm. be a museum of words? We don't have artifacts. <laughs> we don't have, you know, stuff behind glass and text on a wall. The whole point of Planet Word is to explore the joy and wonder of language. And our founder, Anne Friedman, when she was a reading specialist, she was there at the moment that kids decode language. She saw kids realize that letters make words and words make anything you want them to make. And so when she retired as a teacher, she wanted to figure out some way to keep sparking that moment or reigniting it in people who had lost it. People who say, oh, I'm not much of a reader. Or I'm not really a book person. And so the whole point of Planet Word, yes, you learn a lot, but it's this informal, almost optional learning while you're exploring how beautiful and powerful and odd and wonderful words can be. That's great. Yeah, thank you. And you do have this really interesting founding. You mentioned Anne Friedman and decoding language. And so I want to talk to, to you just a second about that, because I think as an older audience, certainly myself, my audience, we may not even recall kind of our first steps in learning about language, because it is about decoding. And that's complicated. What what do you notice about older guests 
that they experience at uh, at Planet Word? I think it takes older guests a minute to get into the spirit of the thing. <laughs> Planet Word is it's yeah. very experiential. Um, it is voice activated, and you have to discard a lot of training um, about you know standing back at a respectful distance and whispering um, in an art gallery to <laughs> really experience Planet Word. Now we help you along the way for sure, and I think. One of the things that has been very intentional, the, the museum's in a historic schoolhouse in downtown D.C., but mm-hmm. the historic entrance to the school has stairs. So to make it accessible, we moved the entrance around the back of the building where there's a little courtyard. But then we had just hidden the entrance to our museum and we can't hang signs on the building because it's historically protected. So um, our founder and Freeman commissioned this crazy sculptural tree. Uh, in the courtyard and the tree looks sort of like a weeping willow but at the end of each of its branches is a speaker and each of those speakers speaks a different language it speaks 360 different languages so as you walk under it it's motion activated and so before you've even gotten in the museum before you've even checked in at the ticket desk um, you're having this interactive a little weird a little surprising experience Uh, that lets you know this is not going to be a traditional museum. And so older guests, they eventually get in the spirit of the thing. I had um, (laughs) a a family come in. It was grandparents with their grandchildren and Mm -hmm. kids, you know, kids will experiment with anything. Kids touch it and talk to it and poke poke at something to figure out how it works. These grandparents were not quite ready to talk to the walls (laughs) and the things that you have to do. But about an hour in, I found the grandfather in the songwriting gallery, which is a karaoke experience, and he was rocking out to Jolene. So, no, oh, uh, perfect. Dolly Parton brings <laughs> us all together once again. Yeah, yes, definitely. You mentioned the Franklin School building, the historic site where Planet Word is located. Tell us a little bit more about that because I I have not been yet to Planet Word. I I'm looking forward to coming this summer, but I noticed. In, again, in my research, the, just these beautiful photographs of the Franklin School. It's gorgeous in Washington, D.C. It's incredibly gorgeous. It's so much more gorgeous than it needs to be. It was <laughs> built in 1869. Um, the architect is Adolf Kluge, So he is known for towered red brick buildings. He designed the Arts and Industries Building at the Smithsonian and Eastern Market and some other things around town. But 1869, if you think about that period in Washington history, the city was just booming, booming much, much faster than the infrastructure could keep up with because in the wake of the Civil War, so many people had moved to Washington. War always brings people to a capital, but the city just couldn't keep up. Um, and there was real talk of moving the capital west to someplace more central now that the nation had grown beyond 13 colonies. And in order to combat that, uh, the, the city fathers went on this public works binge and paved the streets and installed sewers and streetcars and lighting, and they built schools. And they built seven public schools, and Franklin School was the flagship of them. So it is this very grand, very beautiful building with some amazing interior details, uh, checkerboard tile floors and cast iron banisters on the stairs and fantastic windows. Um, 
but it is also really nice for us as a museum to be part of that kind of educational history, not just that we were we are housed in a school, literally a school building, uh, but also that we are um, preserving a building that was part of a time period of when the city was really coming into its own. And it's it's a funny building. It's perfectly symmetrical because it was co-ed and the boys and girls couldn't be in class together. So there are two doors and two stairs and um, that actually makes it a pretty good place for a museum. The gallery layout is rational because of the original layout of the building. Um, and it was abandoned for a long time. So uh, we were able to save this beautiful historic place and bring it back to life and bring it back to its educational roots. Yeah, well, thank you for that. It, it does just have this wonderful history. It's gorgeous. The the pictures that I've seen are just beautiful. It is a museum after all, and, and it, it is all about words. I'm the son of an English teacher. Should I be worried that my grammar is uh, going to be corrected today in our interview? <laughs> and, and is it going to be corrected while I'm a guest there at a museum? Is that what the word museum, is that what Planet Word's about? That is exactly not what Planet Word's about. <laughs> Good. Uh, so for the linguists out there, we are a descriptivist language museum, not prescriptivist. Uh, we are really not interested in correcting your grammar or... <laughs> telling you how to speak and write a certain way or having a fight over the Oxford comma. The whole joy of language, particularly the English language, which has no central governing body, is that we all get to use it however we want to. And if you were taught that there is one standard correct English, you were probably taught that by a educated white person on the East Coast. And it's just not true. You may choose to deploy that dialect of English in certain times and places because that is the coin of the realm you're in, but it is not any more correct than any other usage of the language. And what an amazing power that is. We all get to use this language however we want. We can make up words. We can redesign how sentences are structured. We can uh, co-opt words from other languages and insert them into our speech. English is constantly changing. And you can be mad about that and you can clutch your pearls and say, oh, you know, no one knows how to use uh, standard English anymore. But you're wasting your time because it's going to change whether you're mad about it or not. So you might as well love it and take <laughs> joy in the unbelievable innovation that goes on with the English language. We are with Rebecca Roberts. Rebecca Roberts is curator of programming at Planet Word Museum in downtown Washington, D.C. It's in the historic Franklin School building. We're talking about Planet Word today, talking about language. Rebecca, you just mentioned that the language is constantly changing. It's pretty it's it's really essential to our society that that language makes these changes. I, I kind of personalized our conversation today talking a little bit about my mom. I'll tell you too, our, our house is full because our son is here from school. He's recently married. Um, his wife is from Bolivia and she speaks Quechuan, the Quechuan language, which is a beautiful language. They have different idioms, different phrases. They have this really interesting way of describing the past as kind of being in front of us. I've heard you talk a little bit about that too, but tell us some other examples of how language updates itself and changes, because there, there were some really interesting ways in which language changes around family and food. 
So Planet Word is largely an English language museum, but there is a gallery where we explore global languages and explore mm -hmm. how they vary from each other and vary from English. And Quechua is one of them. And that example of uh, describing the past as in front of you, because you can see it, you know what it holds, mm. whereas mm -hmm. the future is a mystery. So it's behind your back. You can't you can't look mm -hmm. at it. It's just yeah. one of those many ways that highlights that language is culture, that language is the lens through which you see the world. And it can be very different uh, depending on what language you speak or even the way you deploy the same language within English. So in that gallery, we, we explore global languages. Um, you can learn about how uh, in Japanese, for instance, there are very specific levels of address to another person, depending on how polite you want to be or, or where they are in social status. And if you're constantly thinking of how to address someone, that says something about your society, right? There is, there's no separating how we speak and write from how we act and live. And uh, yes, things can change and adapt. English, in fact, one of the things you learn at Planet Word is that not only has English always been a language of innovation and change, but the part of society that drives that innovation and change the fastest is teenage girls. <laughs> and that has always <laughs> been true. You can look at 500-year-old letters from teenage girls, and they're the ones dropping doth and making it do, or half <laughs> and making it has. <laughs> and again, you can get all up on your high horse about the way teenage girls talk and text the lingo and how no one speaks in complete senses anymore. But that's what drives a language forward. And a, a pers if, if you think there's some perfect past when everyone spoke the same standard version of English and that everything's gone to hell in a handbasket since then, first of all, you're imagining an imaginary past, but also you're missing the opportunity uh, to find a whole new worldview through the language that animates. Um, and, and if you learn nothing else from Planet Word, I really do think you learn that, that um, think more carefully about the words you use and think more carefully about how you interpret the words other people use uh, because language is our lens into the world. You, you talk about Planet Word being an experiential museum. I wonder what, what else my audience will ex will see and experience there, interact with. What are some of the exhibits that are ongoing there right now? Oh, there are so many. Um, and they're so cool. I need a better word than cool because I work at a word museum, but they're really cool. <laughs> uh, the, um, the museum, as I mentioned, is voice activated. And the advantage to that is it sort of meets you where you are because you are interacting with the exhibits in a way that um, lets you sort of choose your own um, literacy level, your own uh, patience level, uh, your own attention span. And mm -hmm. in that gallery with the 31 global languages, you could spend all day in there learning 31 different languages, or you can poke around at one of them and decide you're done and move on. Um, and what you can move on to is there's an uh, extraordinary uh, word wall, which is an etymology experience where you learn how words enter the English language. 
And uh, again, voice activated, so it branches out in different ways depending on what the audience shouts out. And so you learn about, you know, the different populations that conquered England, bringing their language traditions with them, but also portmanteau and onomatopoeia and coined terms and all the other ways words enter the language. And then on the second floor, it's basically all the amazing and fun stuff you can do with words. So there's a songwriting gallery, which is a karaoke experience. Uh, but as the lyrics scroll in the middle of the screen, the songwriting technique scrolls in the margins of the screen. So you could be rocking out to Beyonce single ladies and on the side you're learning that she's using echo or Paul Simon is using metaphor or Eminem is using anaphora. Um, so you're learning a little bit about how those words are fitting together as you're singing them. There's a joke telling gallery where you can tell each other extremely corny, but surprisingly funny <laughs> jokes and see if you can make each other laugh. There's a magical library where books come to life when you open them up on a table that it activates a video that sort of explodes out of the book. Um, there's a secret poetry nook in the magical library. One of the bookcases is a door, but I am not going to tell you which one. Mm -hmm. um, okay. There's a really interesting and strange little gallery where uh, there's a mural projected on three walls and you take a fiber optic paintbrush and you dip it in a, an adjective <laughs> and then you paint the wall with whatever adjective you've chosen. And if you've chosen nocturnal, the scene becomes nighttime. If you've chosen hibernal, it becomes winter. If you've chosen magical, there are little Easter eggs where the house becomes a castle and the horse becomes a unicorn. Um, and there are uh, little Easter eggs where um, when some of the adjectives cross each other, they make something special. So I was in there recently and a visitor had somehow made the Northern Lights appear. And I didn't know that was part of that experience. But it mm. turns out where nocturnal and hibernal cross, you can make the Northern Lights. Uh, so it just, you don't even really need to read to be able to have fun in that room. And the technology is sort of jaw dropping. But it does show you how a description changes the scene and how the right adjective can really uh, invoke a mood in the same setting. And then on the ground floor, the experiences kind of turn that corner into Yes, words are beautiful and joyous and wonderful. They're also really important. And if we can all use this language however we want, then use that power wisely. So there's a gallery um, about copywriting and advertising, using words to change people's mind or persuade them of things. Um, and there's a gallery called Words Matter that has first-person um, video narratives from people talking about how words have changed their lives. There's one about nicknames, there's one about code switching, about pronouns, about bullying. Um, and there's a recording booth in that room where you can record your own word story. Uh, there's also a really interesting little analog experience in that gallery where uh, we just have cards that have little prompts on them that say things like, one word that reminds me of where I'm from is, or one word I really like the sound of is, or one word I really enjoy from another language. And people fill those cards out and hang them on the wall. Um, and by the end of the weekend, the wall is just festooned with all of this user-generated content, all of our visitors mm. adding some of their creativity to the museum. And people get really into it. Uh, not only do I see words I've never heard of, but people draw little doodles on the cards and uh, get really creative. And 
it's a really um, nice moment to end on because if you follow the path through the museum that people tell you to follow, not that you need to, it's not linear. That's your final gallery. And so you leave a little piece of yourself in that final gallery uh, and then exit through the gift shop like all good museums. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Got to emphasize the gift shop, of course. One of the other rooms that I read about was the mirror room. And it seemed like from what I read, I, I think I'm clear on this, that that it takes a little bit of gumption. You, you need to be a little brave to walk up and talk to those walls. Maybe tell us about the mirror room. Do I understand that correctly? So that's our magical library and the ceiling yeah. is mirrored. So it looks like it goes on forever. Okay. Uh, I will tell you a secret of exhibit design. The mirrored ceiling is actually mylar. That stuff that balloons are made of. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, because hanging glass up there would be far too heavy. And mylar, when stretched hot, makes a perfect mirror. Um, but that room, yes, you do, in fact, need to talk to the walls if you're feeling brave. There are um, <laughs> all around the library stacks, gilt-edged mirrors that at the bottom of the gilt frame, there is a phrase engraved in the frame. And if you walk right up to it and you say that phrase out loud, uh, the mirror will backlight and a diorama will appear from the book that the phrase is taken from. And they're each commissioned from different artists. They're gorgeous. But you really do need to talk to a wall, which is not <laughs> something that everyone is prepared to do. Right. And, yeah. you know, it's kind of a, a visitor services challenge because all of us who work there, we want people to discover things on their own and get that kind of moment of surprise delight when they figured it out. But we also don't want them to miss anything. And we certainly don't want them to just be flummoxed about how things work. So you constantly have to balance how much you're showing people what to do and how much you're letting them discover it on their own. And, and all of us who work there are so enthusiastic about it. We're basically like golden retrievers. You know, we want, come on over here, come see this cool thing. Come on over to this one. And you really have to stop yourself and let people explore uh, because that moment of discovery is so delightful. Yeah. It's some, some of the most fun that you can have is that, is that moment or two. I, the other thing that I just, you know, was again, as the son of a teacher, I really found that the resources for educators, the lessons that you have available are just amazing. Tell us a little bit about the, the some of those resources for educators, because I thought that was that was a great offering. The educator resources was one of the very first things we did. And I must give the credit to that work to our education manager, Caitlin Miller. Um, she went through with the help of an educator advisory board, all of our galleries and figured out pedagogically what um, common core standards they aligned to, what sort of lessons teachers could take away. Um, and there are lesson plans available for different grade levels um, for free on the website for all of the galleries. Um, she also developed field trips, which are largely virtual, although they're coming back in person for different age groups based on um, the themes of the gallery. So our grade, grade school lower grades field trip is about idiomatic language and telling jokes with expressions and how sometimes expressions um, don't make any sense to a non-English speaker. Um, and uh, the middle grades field trip is about um, poetry and literally the, the sounds of poetry and how different vowel combinations evoke different moods. 
And the upper grades one is about uh, copywriting and advertising. And you learn to sort of spot what an advertiser is trying to make you think or feel with the words that they have chosen. And uh, those have been enormously popular. Um, they're fun and silly sometimes, uh, but you also really do learn quite a lot. But the museum was was founded by a teacher. We always wanted to be able to have formal educational resources along with the informal learning that goes on in the museum. And it's turned out to be really important because there's not that many places you can explore English language arts curriculum. Um, you know, most museums are about history curriculum or about science curriculum. But also it underscores both for teachers and students, that loving words and language and playing with language and being delighted by language is not just about reading. You don't need to define yourself as a big reader in order to get a big kick out of language. There are just so many ways uh, to explore words and play with words and find the power in words that aren't always about a book. So great to talk to you, Rebecca Roberts. Final question, because I know our audience is going to be delighted by the language and just what planet, uh, you know, Word Museum has to offer. I just think all of this is just great stuff. But tell us maybe a little bit about, you know, the best way to experience a museum, uh, to learn how much time might be involved in a first visit. Is there need to go and then return? We love our visitors. We are at the corner of 13th and K Northwest in Washington. So incredibly convenient to uh, both Metro Center and Um, McPherson Square, if you're a metro person. And we are free admission. We ask if people would like to donate with their admission ticket, but we are free. And we do uh, have reserve passes, free reserve passes available on the website in advance if you know when you're going to be there. But we also do always have walk-up tickets. So unless there's like 300 eighth graders in the building, in which case you probably don't want to be there, Always, you can always walk up. We're open Wednesday through Sunday, 10 to 5. And um, because it's free, you can come back and find something else. We tell people about an hour and a half, depending Mm -hmm. on your attention span and how excited you are about the content. But we've certainly had people spend their whole day there and feel like they can come back. Um, If you're not in Washington and can't come visit, we do have a, a broad array of virtual programs. I host them. Uh, they're really interesting and strange and fun. Uh, we do everything from exploring the intersection of language and climate and language and gender to game nights and um, learning about a newly rediscovered archive of Yiddish artifacts. And um, we had a pun competition. <laughs> so we uh, have a lot of programming available, um, both virtually and in person, if you're not in town. But we really do encourage you to visit. It's uh, an experience for everyone. We see a huge variety of ages and backgrounds and native languages come through the museum. And other than the little boy who was really disappointed that we didn't have dinosaurs, most of the <laughs> visitors say that they, they didn't know what to expect, but they couldn't get over what an experience they had, that it was uh, you know, a 21st century museum in all the best ways. And Um, They were thinking about words differently and they had a wonderful time and they learned something new and, and that's all we can hope for. That's great. 
Rebecca Roberts, Curator of Programming at Planet Word, the new museum in Washington, D.C. We're going to put links up to where our audience can find out more information about Rebecca Roberts, the Planet Word Museum, Reserve Passes, the links to some of the virtual material that Rebecca's mentioned. Rebecca Roberts, thanks for your time today. This has all been great stuff, and I just want to encourage our audience to check this out. We'll, again, provide links to do that and uh, to go see it in person, too. Well, Paul, thank you so much for the invitation. You've got to come on down and visit yourself. I know. I have got to do it. I will do it. My thanks to Rebecca Roberts, Curator of Programming for Planet Word Museum. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. I thank you for joining us today. Please be well, be safe, and let's eliminate assault rifles. Assault rifles are unnecessary for any of us in non-military roles. They instill fear in our children and grandchildren in the very place they learn, school. Please, let's do this. And please, let's talk about better, the not old, better show on radio and podcast. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next time.